Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Chineo Gwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Bang! Tie game with five seconds remaining. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle bunch. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you in to Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. It's your boy Greg Frank rolling solo here on the week nine edition of Full Slate. Find me and all of my gambling picks on Twitter at Undercover Greg. Shout out to Alex, our producer, at full underscore slate underscore pod. Normally our co-host as well, uh, who could not make the pod this week, so... I had to take over and roll solo. Hopefully things will work out just as well as they did in NFL Week 8 where we cashed a bunch of tickets. Actually only gave out two losers on the pod, at least on my end, the picks that I played. It was an excellent Week 8 and we hope that NFL Week 9 treats us just the same. We're running through every game in the rotation as I record this on a Wednesday night. Uh, which means that we get to include the Thursday game. Normally, we are recording Thursday, dropping Friday, and the Thursday game is playing while we are recording. Uh, So I am very excited because the Thursday game is actually a spot 
that I really like. And so we're going to get right started here with rotation number 301, the Green Bay Packers laying seven and a half sevens uh, as this number continues to creep up right on the key number pretty much depending on where you shop of seven uh, with a total of 48 in this game in the Bay Area uh, in a rematch of last year's NFC Championship game between Green Bay and San Francisco. And obviously, it's a little unfortunate because in a rematch of a conference championship game, rarely would you see a line this long uh, with especially a road team laying a touchdown. But the big story surrounding this game is the cluster injuries for the San Francisco 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo, the quarterback, is not going to play. Brandon Ayuk just got put on the COVID-19 list. Debo Samuel also was on that list, but he wasn't going to play anyway. The running back room is depleted. They are down Jeff Wilson Jr. Raheem Mostert remains sidelined. Tevin Coleman is out. Okay, so there's a lot of problems for San Francisco offensively, and that's all you're going to hear from a lot of the public backers is, oh, how is San Francisco going to move the ball? How are they going to score points? Nick Mullins is starting. We don't want to bet him. Well, I will remind you, and I like the San Francisco side here. I think the 49ers are a live underdog. Jimmy Garoppolo threw the ball eight times in the NFC Championship game last year because what did the San Francisco 49ers did so well? They dominated the line of scrimmage. Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala were far better than Matt LaFleur. And all those guys are going to be there. I think this is a big coaching mismatch for the 49ers because when you cut the Packers open the way they did in both of those games, those were two blowouts, not just in the NFC Championship last year, but in the Sunday night game in the regular season last year. I think there is something that you are doing that they just aren't figuring out. And that transcends the personnel. George Kittle, oh, by the way, forgot to mention him. The pivotal tight end for San Francisco is not going to play. Trent Williams, the left tackle, was put on the COVID list. Those are some injuries that concern me a little more, I will admit. But I also want to add that it looks like Jordan Reed is primed to return for San Francisco in the lineup. And he has a history with Kyle Shanahan. Of course, the two were together in Washington. And I think that this is a very serviceable backup tight end. I mean, this is a guy that was a total stud when he was on the field and healthy in Washington. And he has filled in admirably with close to 100 yards combined in the two games that George Kittle did not play. So I think there's a good opportunity here for Jordan Reed to come right in. You think about backup quarterbacks, normally they're going to look to their safety blanket, middle of the field guy. So I think this is a good spot for Jordan Reed to come right in if you're looking for some props, first touchdown, receptions, yards. I think he's a good guy to play in some overs as well. And I also want to add, as much as Nick Mullins is just going to get looked at as Nick Mullins, 18 for 25, 238 yards and two touchdowns last week in relief of Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo has been terrible this year. Remember that game against the Dolphins when they said he was quote-unquote hurt at the end of the game because of how bad he was? This is not a quarterback that warrants 
any kind of serious line move. And I understand that the line move is also driven by the Kittle injury and the Trent Williams COVID stuff and Brandon Ayuk and yada, yada, yada. There is something that the 49ers just do in this matchup that you see twice from last year that makes me think that they are in the heads of the Packers and they know how to beat them and not only beat them, but beat them soundly. There was just huge advantages across the board. At the line of scrimmage, massive holes for Raheem Mostert to run through in the NFC Championship last year. And that's still their identity offensively, despite the fact that George Kittle's George Kittle and they drafted Ayuk in the first round. They're going to want to dominate the line of scrimmage and have the quarterback manage the game. It doesn't matter if it's Garoppolo or Mullins, right? Against the New England Patriots, a game that where the 49ers really looked like the 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo did throw for 277 yards, but no touchdowns. He turned the ball over twice. It didn't matter because the defense got turnovers and they rushed for 197 yards. That's what the 49ers do. Dominate the line of scrimmage and run the football, and it hasn't seemed to matter who the back is. Jermichael Hasty, Jarek McKinnon will both be active. I think they'll both have big games. Now, let's go to the defensive side of the ball. So as I said, I'm not that concerned with the 49ers' injuries on offense. On the defensive side of the ball, they're still playing well. They're 12th in DVOA, 8th in opponent yards per play, 10th in opponent rushing yards per game. Oh, by the way, Aaron Jones is questionable, and the Packers are down a few other running backs behind him due to some COVID stuff. So they could be playing Tyler Irvin as their primary back here. San Francisco is 6th in opponent yards per game. Okay, so this is a defense that, despite the injuries they've had on that side of the ball, they're still getting it done. No D Ford, no Nick Bosa, no Richard Sherman. But guess what? Jason Verrett is playing like an all-pro corner for them. The guy that was always injured for the Chargers is healthy and playing really well. Fred Warner has morphed into one of the best inside linebackers in football. Going into last week's games... Pro Football Focus had Fred Warner as the number one coverage linebacker in the National Football League. And going out of last week's games, Jason Verrett has only allowed the third fewest yards per coverage snap in the NFL. So I would expect to see him strapped to Devontae Adams. Emmanuel Mosley is also back healthy for them in the secondary. And Jimmy Ward and Jaquaski Tart were some of the mainstays for them on defense last year. And those guys are healthy in the secondary at safety. Then let's look at the defensive line, okay? A lot of new faces here. No DeForest Buckner. He was traded. I mentioned D. Ford and Nick Bosa are injured. Javon Kinlaw, first-round pick out of South Carolina, has emerged as a pretty nice player. Kerry Hyder, okay, 29 years old, signed to a one-year contract. He has a 16.2% pressure rate this year, which is fifth among all qualifying players in pressure rate. That's a better pressure rate than D. Ford a year ago. Kerry Hyder is a guy that they signed after a kind of lost year in the Dallas defense last year. He didn't really have his way. And now, all of a sudden, he tore his Achilles two years ago. He's back, looks to be healthy, and they took a one-year lottery ticket on this guy, and he's been pretty good for them. So when you see these guys making plays on the defensive line, Kevin Givens, undrafted free agent at defensive tackle out of Penn State that has proved in his second season 
to be a pretty nice player for them on the defensive interior. And so the point I'm trying to make here is that this is a 49ers organization. Oh, by the way, what they do this week, they traded away Quan Alexander. And I'm kind of thinking, well, what's that about? They're trying to make a playoff run here, right? But then Drake Greenlaw, another one of their recent draft picks, the weak side linebacker, you look at his stats, he has yet to be credited with a missed tackle this year. So this is a San Francisco 49ers organization that has the right people in place. John Lynch has done a great job as a general manager. Kyle Shanahan is one of the best coaches in the National Football League. Robert Sala is one of the best coordinators in the National Football League. And that's another reason why I like this 49ers defense on Thursday Night Football. Because they are third in the NFL in quarterback hurry percentage, and they are eighth in the NFL in blitz percentage. They're finding ways to get to the quarterback even without the big names on defense. David Bakhtiari, by the way, the all-pro left tackle, is questionable for Green Bay. So you might not know the names as well, but Javon Kinlaw, Kerry Hyder, Dre Greenlaw, Kevin Givens, Jason Verrett, Fred Warner, this is still a really good defense. And this is going to be another San Francisco 49ers statement to the Green Bay Packers. And it's going to be primarily because their defense is going to play well. We're taking San Francisco plus this seven. We're going to sprinkle a little bit on the money line. And I'm also going to play Aaron Rodgers under passing yards. Green Bay Packers team total under. I can't get enough of this spot because I think the 49ers are set to make a statement. I know they lost to Seattle. Everyone loses to Seattle. Before that, they kicked a snot out of New England on the road. And they beat the Rams on Sunday Night Football. They were playing well. I'm willing to move on from that Seattle game. I swear we won't spend as much time on the rest of the games. But this is still a good 49ers defense. They'll use the middle of the field. Hasty and McKinnon will run well. McKinnon always been a good pass catching back. Jordan Reed, middle of the field. I think we'll have a nice game at tight end. And the 49ers are going to win this game outright. So there's a big pick right out of the gate. 24-17, San Francisco takes it on Thursday Night Football. Let's move forward and go to number 451 in the rotation, the Seattle Seahawks traveling to 452. The Buffalo Bills, total of 55 in this game, uh, has been bet up with a three-point road favorite here in the Seattle Seahawks. You know, I don't love a ton here. I've missed the best of the number on the over 55 is a very high total in the NFL. So, not that I'm looking to buy back on the under, but I do think that up to 55 now, it's hard to get down on the over and feel confident about it. Lean that way on the total. As far as the side, this is an interesting spot for Seattle, and I'm not running to back them, even though I probably lean with the road chalk. Seattle is off of back-to-back divisional games, right? We just mentioned Seattle beating San Francisco in the Pacific Northwest last week. And two weeks ago in Phoenix, they had that crazy game, maybe the best game in the NFL season so far on Sunday Night Football, where the Cardinals find a way to win it in overtime. Okay, so you have back-to-back divisional games the last two weeks. And the next two weeks after This game against Buffalo, Seattle has a divisional game against the Rams, and then it's the rematch against the Cardinals. So if there's ever a flat spot, right? Cross-country road trip against a non-conference opponent? 
kind of checks the boxes, right? So why am I not betting Buffalo? Why is my lean to Seattle? Because I don't want a piece of the Bills right now. Okay? That was a New England team last week that looked completely lifeless and nearly found a way to pull an upset against the Buffalo Bills last week. So either my 49ers, who I just gave out as a, an underdog plus a seven and a sprinkle on the money line, either they looked really good two weeks ago in New England or Buffalo played down to the Patriots' level last week. And if it's the latter, then I am not touching the Buffalo Bills against the Seattle Seahawks here, as bad as that Seattle defense might be. Okay, and we talk about a bad defense. Well, all of a sudden now, this Buffalo offense doesn't quite look like the well-oiled machine that it did the first month of the season. Go back to when they got their rear ends kicked by the Tennessee Titans on that Tuesday game. And look at what's happened since. 42-16, to they lose to Tennessee. Game's not close. 26-17, to they lose to Kansas City. Offense never gave them much of a chance in that one. 18-10, to they win against the Jets. Completely lifeless offensively. For the most part, they kicked six field goals in that game. And then last week, 24-21, and they only beat New England because Cam Newton coughs the ball up at the end of the game. I don't want a piece of Buffalo. I don't love the spot for Seattle. I do think the over could be interesting if we see that first month of the season offense for Buffalo. If there's ever a time that they get back to that, it would be here against the Seattle defense. And obviously the Seahawks are letting Russ cook. They continue to move right along. And, you know, that loss against Arizona didn't really uh, derail the Russell Wilson MVP train at all because they came right back and beat up on the 49ers last week. That's what they do. They're looking like the clear favorite in the NFC West in what's a very good division. I'd lean with the road chalk and the over. Uh, but as I said, the spot concerns me a little bit for Seattle. Uh, so I would be more likely to play the over. But having missed the best of the number, probably going to pass on that game in western New York. Let's go down south and take on number 453 in the rotation, the Denver Broncos traveling east to take on the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, we're seeing Denver catching three and a half on the highway with a total of 50 in this game on Sunday afternoon. And I am going to lean here with the road dog, but I am going to be hesitant to play this, and here's why. Denver just had a highly, highly emotional comeback victory against the Chargers last week, right? And I think sometimes, obviously, even the best can probably be guilty when you're handicapping of, of a little bit of a recency bias. And they obviously were in that spot in the first place because the Broncos' first two and a half quarters or so were really ugly against a Chargers team that, say what you want about Justin Herbert, is still a work in progress, let's say, about the Chargers. Now, we have an Atlanta team that is bad, obviously. Fired a coach in the middle of the season. But, just to play away, or a Todd Gurley go down before the goal line away from being 3-0 and under Raheem Morris, the interim head coach, who has been a head coach in the NFL before, and so I think there's clearly some motivation for him to continue to prove his worth down there in the ATL and maybe give himself a chance at that head job. We saw the Atlanta Falcons in the first game under Raheem Morris go to Minnesota and kick the snot out of the Minnesota Vikings. And I mentioned that Todd Gurley go-down thing. If that happens... Obviously, they beat the Lions. 
But then they came back on a short week, went to Charlotte in a division game against a Panthers team that's been surprising. And the Falcons won that game 25-17 in a game that they played pretty well in. So now we're seeing Atlanta laying three and a half points. And again, I think they're trending in a nice way here under Raheem Morris. But then I'd ask, do you really want to give over a field goal with one of the worst defenses in the NFL? It's kind of a pet peeve of mine when you're talking about laying points with bad defenses because they need to get stopped somewhere along the way, right, to create that margin. And it's an Atlanta defense that has not done well against pass-catching running backs. Obviously, Melvin Gordon is versatile out of the backfield and could be able to hurt them in the middle of the field uh, as well as they've struggled against tight ends. And Noah Fant is a budding star in the Mile High City. Drew Locke looked legit in the fourth quarter, right? Like, he's been he's a very interesting Jekyll and Hyde quarterback, right? Where he doesn't look like he even belongs in the league sometimes. And then he'll turn it on out of nowhere. That's what happened against the Chargers. And so there's a chance, right, that that win is a big catalyst for Denver into the second half of the season because the Broncos needed that win. And as somebody that is holding a Denver over 7.5 wins ticket, that was a huge win. So I'll certainly be rooting for them here. But I don't know that I can get there with Denver plus 3.5 because I worry about the emotional letdown spot. You come off that big of a high, how do you match that intensity? Because I got suckered into taking Detroit last week coming off of that emotional high win, ironically, against the Atlanta Falcons. And last week, Detroit couldn't stop a nosebleed against Indy. So it's only going to be a lean for me, but if you are looking for action, I would get there with the Denver Broncos if you are desperate. Let's move on and uh, go a little north from Atlanta, four-hour drive up to Nashville, number 456 in the rotation, the Tennessee Titans hosting the Chicago Bears. We're seeing Tennessee laying six points at home with a total of 46.5. This is a tough one for me because I am not high on the Chicago Bears at all. I just don't think they're very good. I think most people are starting to see through the Bears record, and they did lose that game last week despite getting the cash as four-point underdogs and covering in overtime against the New Orleans Saints. Obviously, for an offensive-minded coach, Matt Nagy's offense, yes, the personnel is very suspect, but it's an offense that leaves a lot to be desired. Let's just say that. But then... Maybe this is just what the doctor ordered for an offense that leaves a lot to be desired because they're facing a Tennessee defense that continues to struggle. Talk about laying points with bad defenses. Well, this one's up to six. Now, obviously more likely to do it at home in a spot where the Titans, now off back-to-back losses, really need to get right. So they have that working for them. You know, they lost to Pittsburgh in Week 7 in the Battle of Undefeateds. And then last week was the real head-scratcher. Obviously, Tennessee last week, one of the bigger public sides on the NFL card. They go down to the Cincinnati Bengals 31-20. Joe Burrow with four or 249 and two scores through the air. No interceptions. Cincinnati runs for over 100 yards on the ground, 118 rushing yards to be exact. And while 
Tennessee goes for 218 on the ground. It doesn't matter. They still lose by 11 points. Titans outgain the Bengals 441 to 367. Titans 7.4 yards per play. You love that. But the question here is, can the defense for Tennessee get off the field? Cincinnati had the ball last week for 35 minutes against the Titans. And even and that's without Joe Mixon. Now, they obviously have some talented receivers there in Cincy. But without their star running back, they're able to play a ball control game like that? And a bad offensive line in Cincinnati? I think that says something about the state of the Tennessee defense. Um, you know, and again, if you're thinking that they won't be, that Chicago won't be as lethal through the air as Burrow and Cincinnati was, that's fair. Because you're talking about just having one star receiver and Allen Robinson versus maybe there's not a star in Cincinnati, but Higgins and Boyd and, and even Green to a certain extent the last few weeks have looked a lot better. Um, so I think I'd probably lean to Tennessee if I had to make a play on this game laying the six because it does kind of feel like the right get right spot for the Titans to kind of reassert themselves in that AFC South with Indy starting to creep up. Big game on Thursday night next week between Indianapolis and Tennessee. So maybe maybe a little maybe a little look ahead too for the Titans as six point favorite, right? But ultimately, I don't think that's the case because they've lost two in a row, right? Look ahead, you'd normally be thinking, oh, they're fat and happy, they're rolling. Now they're going to kind of lay down or not be focused. I don't think that's the case here. I do think you're going to get a focused Tennessee team, so I would lean that way. Uh, but I, I ultimately probably will not get there when it comes to making a bet on this game. Let's keep things moving and go with rotation number 459, the Baltimore Ravens traveling to the aforementioned Indianapolis Colts. Two and a half point road chalk are the Ravens. This number has been bet down through the key of three. I'd like to add as Indy opened about three and a half, uh, getting the points there. Total of 47 in this one. And that's kind of where I'm more interested in here. Uh, and I think I'll probably go over the total here for a play at over 47. And here's why. Last week, obviously, the stories coming out of Baltimore were all about the offense and a lot of negative stuff surrounding Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens unit, right? Lamar did not play well. Hollywood Brown with a tweet that he later deleted about how they're not throwing the ball and using their weapons. Uh, and, and so I think that inevitably this is going to be kind of a squeaky wheel game, right? And there's Probably other players on the Ravens, too, that are a little more... I mean, it's a low-volume passing offense. We know that. But having said that, I think there's probably some more Ravens uh, players and coaches that are frustrated that they aren't getting the ball downfield more and would like to attempt that. Anytime you're going to try for more big plays, I like to look at overs because you know that that could be a quick seven in on one play, right? Or you know, a real quick drive or a chunk play. If they're trying to ignite their passing game, that's going to make me like the over. Not only because of the fact that, uh, you know, what I mentioned, I think they probably just try and take some shots more offensively. But Lamar Jackson threw two interceptions last week. And I don't normally like to factor in turnovers into handicaps because I think they certainly can be pretty random. 
but we've still yet to see Lamar consistently prove himself as a passer. So if Indy is a good Indianapolis defense, if they're able to force a turnover or two, then you're looking at a short field going the other way. So I think the Ravens open things up more. And oh, by the way, also for what it's worth, we saw J.K. Dobbins really have a nice game for them on the ground last week against a good Steelers run defense. Dobbins goes over 100 yards on the ground. And while I just finished talking about how I think more shots in the passing game is probably better for taking the over, and now I'm switching to talking about the run game for Baltimore, and obviously it's been very dominant, but the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think we all know that Dobbins is the more explosive back, right? And Mark Ingram has not practiced yet this week, as I record, after he just missed a Wednesday practice, but... Even if Ingram were to play, he's kind of more your bruiser, right? Between the tackles, he might not always have the big runs. I think we know Dobbins is a guy that can pop off some big chunk gains too on the ground. So I think him being more involved in their run game makes him a little more explosive on the ground as well. So those are the reasons why I think the Ravens offense is going to open things up and be able to score uh, at the very least in to match that 24 and, and perhaps flirt with 30 this week. Then you look at Indianapolis, and I'll be the first to admit I was not much of a believer in Phillip Rivers going to Indy and obviously I thought he was kind of washed. And early on the first few games of the season, he kind of looked like that. I'll give him credit. The last couple games, he has played well. 371 yards and three touchdowns against Cincinnati in a comeback victory before their bye week. Then they go on the bye, and last week they come out of the bye and they go shred the Lions. And Rivers throws for 262 and three more touchdowns. And the offensive line's healthy for Indianapolis, and that's the thing that was the big thing about Rivers, right, is he's going there and, you know, are they going to be able to keep him upright and protect him? And if so, does he have anything left? Well, it's starting to look like some of the stuff that they saw with Rivers at the beginning of the season, or why they brought him in, you know, is starting to come to fruition. We're starting to see some of some more of that with him having some good games the last couple of weeks. So, while they don't have a ton of guys that maybe scare you just as far as name value, as far as their skill players. You know, Jonathan Taylor in the backfield has not been great, and he's a little banged up. Rivers is playing well, and I know this is a tough spot for him to continue that against a good Ravens defense, but it's a Ravens defense that might be without Marlon Humphrey, who was put on the reserve COVID-19 list earlier this week. So if he doesn't go, then they're down a top corner. I think there's probably enough for Phillip Rivers and company to engineer a few drives. And as I said, I think Baltimore is going to open things up, take some more chances, which leads to more points. Not a whole lot on the side here because I don't want to trust the Ravens as road chalk after that performance last week. I got burned on the Ravens last week, laying the four and a half. Uh, So I'm going to stay away from the side. I think this could go a lot of different ways. And that move through three is always pretty strong. And once you miss that, then you know I'm not... As I said, the Ravens aren't a team that I want to buy back on on that line move right now. So um, I'm going to look to the over as a play here at uh, 47, widely available right now as we record on a Wednesday night. Let's keep things moving. We're coming up on our commercial break, but we'll hit a few more games. Let's start with 461, the Carolina Panthers traveling to 462, the Kansas City Chiefs. 
Carolina getting 10 and the hook on the road. Total of 52 and a half. And um, I, I'll make a case for the side and the total in this one as we look at the game in Arrowhead Stadium. And I think the Carolina Panthers could very well be live to cover this number. And it's obviously a big number, but how many times do we have to talk about Teddy Bridgewater on the road as an underdog against the spread? I mean, this is the exact spot that Teddy Bridgewater covers in. He did it in a couple weeks ago in the Superdome against the Saints' is seven and a half point draw or point underdog. And here he is now getting ten and a half against Kansas City, right? And in between, you know, hopefully he's fine. It sounds like he'll he came back in that game after taking a dirty hit against Atlanta. Carolina, extra time to prepare. I always kind of like that if I like offense, right? Because maybe there's a few more wrinkles that they're able to put in the playbook. And oh, by the way, Christian McCaffrey is coming back for Carolina. So for a Joe Brady offense, a guy that is a very innovative and creative offensive mind who knows Teddy Bridgewater from their time together in New Orleans, now they're getting one of the best playmakers in the National Football League back. So it should set up for the Carolina Panthers to score some points here. You know, and it's a Carolina team. I'll be the first to admit, I bet them under the season win number, and I'm a little nervous at 3-5 and five through 8 games. You know, they're right on to go 6-10, and 10, and I bet under 6, so it's going to be a close one, it looks like. But... They got some playmakers on offense, even before McCaffrey was, when, when he was out, I should say. Robbie Anderson's having a really good season. DJ Moore is starting to look like that first-round pick that he was out of Maryland. So, I think Carolina scores here, and, I mean, do I really need to tell you you should expect the Chiefs to score, right? Like, that's kind of common sense. And it's a Carolina defense that at times has looked good, but remember, is also very young. They spent every draft pick last year uh, on the defensive side of the ball. I guess it was this calendar year, but this past offseason. So, for a young defense that is kind of finding its way and at times looks good, but then, you know, Matt Ryan throws for 281 yards on him last week, I kind of think Patrick Mahomes and company is going to be able to score some points. Having said all that, we've seen this number be bet down, by the way, too. 12.5 on the side. 11.5, 12.5 kind of opened at different shops. We've seen the money come for Carolina early in the week, and I think I agree. A little bit of a premium that you're paying here with Kansas City. The Chiefs have been covering numbers, and if there's ever a time where Kansas City kind of just takes the win and gets out, right, and moves on, they coast in the bye week. It would be this time, right? Non-conference game for the Chiefs. I don't think they have good reason for margin here. So I think Carolina plus the big number makes a good deal of sense. And I think the game over the total is also a smart move. So that's how I'll play that game at Arrowhead Stadium. Let's move on and go to number 463 in the rotation, the Houston Texans traveling east to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Both of these teams coming out of a bye. We're seeing Houston, 6.5, 7-point road chalk, total of 50.5 in this game. I'm probably going to stay away from this game 
But some interesting trends, one of which I'll talk more about later in the show. But some interesting trends that I want to note here. Jacksonville, uh, making a quarterback change first before we get to the trends. Jake Luton, the six-round rookie out of Oregon State, is going to go. Gardner Minshew uh, had a thumb fracture, and I don't even know how serious his injury is. Apparently he was playing through it with Jacksonville, but they had also been looking for reasons to make a quarterback change. So maybe there's some scapegoating going on there as well. And you kind of always look to the quarterback when you're not playing well. And I think obviously Jacksonville is just not a very good team and a team that everybody thought was going to be the heavy front runner for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, And they were kind of this year's tanking team, right? Um, And they won the first game of the year against Indy. And then now they've lost six in a row coming out of the bye week. They're going to take a look at Jake Luton, who apparently has a more live arm can get the ball downfield better. It sounds like DJ Chark and the rest of the Jacksonville wide receivers didn't really love Gardner Mitchell. So we're seeing Jake Luton make his NFL debut, it would appear. And then we're seeing Houston coming out of a bye, having not done a ton at the deadline. They were a team that people were looking at as a seller. And Will Fuller was a primary target for the aforementioned Green Bay Packers. Uh, But here are the... Texans rolling in, having kept everybody for the most part. So you could look at that and say, oh, that's maybe a bet on, right? Because while they might not be going anywhere this year, they got to keep the group together, right? The locker room stayed together coming out of the bye week. Maybe. Um, But when I look at these trends, this is where I think we got some interesting ones going here. One's a much bigger sample size than the other. The first is that divisional home underdogs are 10-1 against the spread this year. So I'm not... I, I can't get there with Jacksonville. I got to see what the quarterback's got first. And as I said, sounds like they like his live arm and they want to give him a look. Makes sense for a team that would obviously be in the quarterback market in the offseason as well. I just, I, it's too much unknown for me to get on a side here with the new quarterback for Jacksonville. And, you know, divisional home underdogs. You think about last last week, Denver against the Chargers, cashed his three and a half point home pups. Coming from behind, right? You're never going to lay down against a divisional opponent, you would think, right? That you know, Jacksonville just lost 30 to 14 a few weeks back in the first meeting between these two teams. So, you never want to get embarrassed by a divisional foe. So, regardless of your record, you would think that you're able to kind of pick yourself up and keep playing hard. Another divisional home underdog that cashed this year, go back to week 1, the Washington football team down 17 to nothing against the Eagles in the first half. Washington comes back and wins the game. So if you're a home dog in a divisional game, you're going to play hard. Even if you're behind, you're going to play 60 minutes. You're not going to tap out. I think that's where that maybe comes from a little bit, at least this year. Now, the other trend is much more profitable or a much bigger sample, and it's road favorites off a bye week, which is where we have the Houston Texans. Houston is 64-20, or I'm sorry, road favorites off a bye since 2003 are 64-29-3 against the spread. I faded this trend last week. Backing the Detroit Lions, catching three points against the Indianapolis Colts out of a bye. And certainly, I paid the price. That was one of my losers last week in what was otherwise a really good week. 
I think this trend is very logical and makes sense. And I think the home dog divisional thing makes sense too, which is why I'm not playing a side. But when you think about road favorites, the big reason why you're, you know, if you're favorite on the road, you're just so clearly the better team, right? Like we don't even need to debate that. And the question is, are you going to be focused? Are you going to be motivated? Do you care about the game? And when you're coming out of a bye, well, you just had last week off. So it's not like you're riding any sort of emotional high. You're kind of resetting, right? It's like another fresh start to the season. So when you have extra time to prepare, you're coming out of a bye week, batteries are recharged. Yeah, you're going to be focused on the task at hand, which is that opponent on that given week. So road favorites covering a lot of numbers off buys since 2003, I think makes sense. So I like both trends, so I'll stay away from the game. Total of 50 and a half. I don't want to play the total either because, as I said, with Luton, I don't know what I'm getting here. Maybe his arm is going to be able to get the ball downfield more, and all of a sudden it's going to be a little more of a fun offense to watch. Maybe he's going to turn the ball over. All that stuff could point towards the over. But maybe he's just not that very not that good at all, and Jacksonville's not going to score more than 10, 14 points here. So I'll stay away from this game as we head into a commercial break. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to wager this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today. And take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Even though sports had a break, your business did not. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed with a free $75 credit at indeed.com slash blue wire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. And we're back here on Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. It's your boy Greg Frank flying solo here on the NFL Week 9 edition as we run through the rotation uh, game by game, side by side, total by total. We try and break it all down and give you some of our plays. As I said, Week number 8 was very profitable for us uh, and hopefully Week 9 
can be equally as good. Obviously, that is a tall task. It is certainly difficult to continue to be cashing these sides and totals like we handicap them. But uh, obviously, you hope for the best, and sometimes it doesn't always work out. So on that note, keep moving. I do want to acknowledge the game that I'm just going to briefly touch on that has come off the board, obviously. That is the game in Minneapolis this weekend as the Detroit Lions travel to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. And Matthew Stafford has been placed on the reserve COVID-19 list. Uh, and so we don't really know yet where this number is going to come back up. He could play still because he did not test positive. He was in deemed a close contact with someone that did test positive outside of the Lions organization on Monday. So if he tests negative, he the five-day isolation period would pass and he would be on the field on Sunday, obviously having not practiced with the team. And Kenny Galladay probably not going to go for the Lions. So having said that, if there's a, te- if there's a game where you're going to miss your best wideout, it would be Minnesota where the Vikings are battered and wounded on the defensive backfield and they've been getting picked apart and they're you know they did get a win last week against Green Bay but the Vikings are two and five and seems like a little bit of a lost season there for the purple people eaters so I don't really know which way to go here uh as because we don't know where this number is going to come back up if you know Stafford or Chase Daniel the backup for Detroit were, were to play we were seeing three and a halfs, fours, which was a little concerning for me because it just felt like it was just begging you to take the points with Detroit. So I was actually kind of leaning towards maybe Minnesota. Uh, having said that, I don't know that I want the Vikings here. It's been just kind of an up and down year for Minnesota. This is probably a game I'll just stay away. Uh, Jared Davis also went on the COVID-19 list for Detroit. Inside linebacker, Dalvin Cook just shredded Green Bay on the ground. Could be another home run spot for Dalvin. Uh, Everson Griffin, revenge game maybe. First game back against the Lions, or with the Lions. First game back against the Vikings. Uh, So, just some food for thought on that one. Could be another big Dalvin Cook game. Maybe the Lions front seven, especially Everson Griffin, can get a pass rush and hit Kirk Cousins a lot. Unders have been pretty profitable in uh, Vikings divisional home games, by the way, for what that's worth. But that's also based on the fact that prior to this year, we are associating the Vikings with being a good defensive team. We just talked about their secondary and how that's been a problem. So that's really all I have there. Hard to really talk about it much more without any numbers available. Let's wrap up the early window with rotation number 465, the New York Giants traveling to the nation's capital to take on the Washington football team. Total of 42 in this game. Uh, obviously one of the lower, that might be the lowest total on the board this week. Um, and it is by the hook on the Monday night game. Right now we're seeing 42 and a half in the Jets and Patriots game. Uh, but, You know, when we think about the Giants, obviously it's a very inconsistent offense. Daniel Jones really looked pretty bad most of the night and then managed to put it together late in the game to engineer a drive to get the Giants within two until the Giants failed to convert the two-point conversion, which was a good no-call, I felt, on Antoine Winfield of Tampa. Um, And, you know, so now we're seeing the Giants getting two and a half on the road. I think I might get there with Washington laying the short number. I, I'm not. I, I don't like a ton here in this total just because 
42 is such a low number to try and bet under in today's NFL with how the success we've seen with overs. And these two teams did play a few weeks back at MetLife Stadium. Uh, and we saw 39 points scored in a 20 to 19 giant win. So you know, kind of, and that was kind of like right on the the total. And I think that I think I want to say Alex, uh, our producer, had the over there and got screwed at the end because it was looking like an over most of the way. Just too low of a total for me to really seriously consider betting under. At the same time, Daniel Jones, Kyle Allen, offenses outside of Terry McLaurin that don't have a ton of weapons that can take any play to the house at any given time. But I'm more interested in the side. I think there's a little bit of a revenge spot for Washington because if you remember, I mentioned it, 20-19, to 19, they lost in the regular season in the first meeting against the Giants. And that was because the Washington football team opted to go for two back in week six uh, and try and win the game in regulation, down 20-13, to 13, scored a late touchdown, two-point conversion, failed. And... So, I think that this is a Washington team, remember, coming out of the bye, and we see the Washington team, the last time we saw them, excuse me, they got a big divisional home win against the Dallas Cowboys. So, Washington now has divisional wins against Dallas and Philly. And obviously, Dallas continues to fade, and Andy Dalton's not going to play again this week. So it's all of a sudden looking like Washington or Philadelphia in this anemic NFC East. I only got to give two and a half to back the Washington football team out of a bye with the Giants on a short week. You know, that sounds pretty appetizing. And I get a little bit of a revenge spot. I get a big divisional game. Washington can go to three and one in the division with a win here. Sounds pretty good. Ron Rivera made that quarterback change because he believes they can win the division this year. Plain and simple. He knows Kyle Allen from Carolina is not going to make the massive mistake, right? He might not make a big play, but he trusts Kyle Allen to not screw up. I think they're playing to win games in Rivera's first year there. And maybe they do give the Eagles a run for their money in the division. I certainly think the Washington football team finds a way to win this football game against the New York Giants. Let's go to the late afternoon window where we have the Las Vegas Raiders, number 467, in the rotation, traveling to Los Angeles to take on the LA Chargers at SoFi Stadium. A total of 52 in this game. Um, You know, I think over, you think about these two offenses, Derek Carr has been playing very well. And let's throw last week out, that was elements and wind and Cleveland and they did what they needed to do, right? The Raiders, a team that's trying to make a playoff push, goes to Cleveland, another team that's on that playoff bubble, and the Raiders win the football game. Could certainly be a big tie-breaking situation as we move into December. Having said that, you know now they're on the road, divisional game, and while the Chargers have been finding crazy ways to lose games. You know, this is your typical wise guy who wants to charge your spot here, right? After the way they lost last week to Denver. I don't love it, but I certainly lean to the charger side because it is a typical what have you done for me lately lately kind of recency bias here that would creep in or what? you know, most recent data point, whether it sticks out positively or negatively. 
And obviously for the Chargers, it sticks out in a big negative way with how the game ended against Denver last week. Raiders, on the other hand, they were right in that game. 24-20 early in the fourth quarter before the Bucks blew it open in the fourth. Raiders, before their bye week, went to Kansas City and won. Beat the Saints on Monday Night Football this year. Just won at Cleveland, a team that had been playing well. So, I think this is obviously a line that has been bet down. Now it is Pick'em. But, let's not forget the fact that the Chargers are getting these leads, right? And Justin Herbert looks like the truth. I mean, they, they, they have found their quarterback, it would appear, to succeed Phillip Rivers. So I think the over makes some play if you're looking for a play on the total. Maybe we start to see Henry Ruggs and Nelson Aguilar make some more downplay, downfield plays for the Raiders after the weather kind of neutralized that last week. Um, and I don't see any reason why against a young secondary that Justin Herbert can't continue to have success. And it's a Raiders defense that has struggled most of the season against the run. Which you always like to help a young quarterback with. So, lean chargers, lean over. Probably going to be something, depending on where I'm at in the week. I wake up Sunday morning and decide to play one of those. If you're looking for action in this late game out in L.A few more late games to get to, and then we'll get to the primetime games to wrap things up. The Pittsburgh Steelers head to Dallas to take on the Cowboys. Pittsburgh laying 13.5 on the highway. Holy crap. Total of 41.5. Obviously, that total is a number based on Garrett Gilbert or Cooper Rush, whoever it's going to be for the Dallas Cowboys at quarterback this week because they've already said it's not going to be Danucci. And we know that Andy Dalton is on the reserve COVID-19 list. Belief has already been ruled out. So, obviously, we have the 0-8 Dallas Cowboys against the spread. Getting 13.5 against the Pittsburgh Steelers who just beat the Baltimore Ravens and are still the league's only unbeaten team. I can't back Pittsburgh here, though, because here's the thing. I am not... Going to invest in the Cowboys. Just way too much uncertainty with quarterback. If, if if Dalton were playing here, I might be interested a little bit in Dallas. But not with Rush or uh, Garrett Gilbert, if it is him. But I can't get there with the Steelers either because this is certainly the... This certainly has the potential, excuse me, for a Pittsburgh flat spot. Because... Not only did they just beat Baltimore last week, but remember who they beat the week before that, Tennessee. Okay, so that was the big showdown of unbeaten teams in Nashville. They go on the road, and they beat Tennessee. Then it's the big showdown of AFC North rivals. They go on the road, and they beat Baltimore. Golf clap. Absolutely. Very impressive. Four and a half point underdogs on the road. They win the game outright in Baltimore. If there's ever a flash spot, three straight road games, non-conference game here for Pittsburgh, so you know they're not going to go 16 and 0. I don't think at least. So if you are going to, for tie-breaking purposes, these are the games that 
you care less about. There's ever a, a flash spot here. It would be for for this one, where you're facing Cooper Rush or Garrett Gilbert, and you just kind of give a C effort and win by ten. You know, twenty to ten, something like that. Now, having said all of this, I talked about the maybe flat spot. I think that might lend itself more to the Pittsburgh defense that just had to face, you know, they had to tackle Derrick Henry a bunch, and Ryan Tannehill is obviously still having another good year for the Titans. And then they had to face Lamar Jackson and that Baltimore run game. So I think there might be a little bit more of a flat element for the Pittsburgh defense. The Pittsburgh offense, on the other hand, you would think that the receivers, Chase Claypool, Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson, come out and feast on probably the worst secondary in the NFL. But maybe by that same token, Pittsburgh just comes into the game just opting to have a more conservative game plan. And we've seen Dallas get exposed on the ground too. So maybe it is a big James Conner game. But the third, the third straight road game stuff, non-conference opponent, makes me think there is a chance here for Pittsburgh to kind of go through the motions a little bit and lollygag through this one. So I will not be taking a side here. Uh, I, I, I don't think I'll have anything on the game. Uh, I'll, I'll just leave it at that uh, and move on. Don't tease Pittsburgh, by the way. Like, you're not, like, at 13 and a half, like, you're getting them down to 7 and a half in a 6-point teaser, like, you're not even getting the key number seven. Just don't do it. Wasting your time. Uh, so that's all for this game. I, I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> Let's move on to rotation number 471. The Miami Dolphins traveling to the desert to take on the Arizona Cardinals. We're seeing Arizona laying four and a half total of 48 in this one. Here's a game I do want to talk about a little bit more. And I'm going to take the home chalk. Give me the Arizona Cardinals laying the number. Because we have Arizona coming out of a bye. And had Arizona played the week after that highly emotional, physical five-quarter game against Seattle that they win in overtime on Sunday Night Football, I might, I'd probably be thinking fade Arizona, right? Oh, how are they going to get back up? But the bye, I actually think, I, different schools of thought here. Some people would certainly argue that the buy after that kind of a win is bad, right? Because Arizona was rolling. They had smoked Dallas on Sunday night fo- on Monday night football, excuse me, before that. Then they come from behind and find a way to get to overtime and they beat the uh, the uh, Seattle Seahawks. You know, that's a very big statement kind of win for the Arizona Cardinals. Before the Dallas game, they had smoked the Jets, so they were rolling right along. You could make that argument I'm more of the mindset of, all right, now batteries are recharged. The Seattle game is behind them. There's not going to be any hangover, any physical or mental toll from that game. is not going to kind of be leaning or laying over you that whole week because you had the week off. Go enjoy it. Big, big win. But come back and be ready to try and make a run at Seattle in this division. That's the message if you're Cliff Kingsbury, right? And then let's look at the Miami Dolphins box score from last week. First off, the change to Tua, I think, is 
a head-scratcher to a degree. Because Ryan Fitzpatrick had been playing well and seems to be a very liked guy in any locker room he goes to. So, having said that, whether maybe it was just scripted, they knew all along after the bye week they were going to go to Tua. Maybe you've been tearing it up in practice and eventually you got to get your top draft pick in there. Okay. But, you know, he didn't really need to do a whole lot last week in his debut. But they got destroyed in the total yards last week by the Rams. Box, the final score is very misleading. 28-17, they win the game. The Rams outgained them 471-185. to 185. Excuse me, to 145. So when you score on defense, you get a fumble return touchdown, and then you score on special teams. And the next thing you know, 7-7 becomes 21-7. And then you got Jared Goff playing from behind. Jared Goff playing from behind, by the way. That's not a recipe for success. He has not really been one to lead his team back a ton. But the yardage disparity, scoring on defense, scoring on special teams, not stuff you expect to carry over week to week. And the yardage disparity is what tells you more about the way Miami played last week. And no, by the way, for a young quarterback, now he's got two that's got to go on the road, cross-country trip. And you know, he only had 93 passing yards last week. And now his bell cow running back, Miles Gaskin, is not going to play with an MCL spring. Matt Breida, Jordan Howard, you know, not exactly guys that inspire confidence in that backfield. Arizona gets some game tape now to look at on Tua. Be more prepared for what's coming. As I said, they should be focused after this bye week. The honeymoon of Seattle was not a factor because they had the bye week. I like the Cardinals a lot here. Kyler Murray, number one overall pick from 2019, makes a statement against Tua, the number five pick from this past draft. Arizona wins this game by double digits. I'll lay the four and a half, five with the Cardinals for a max play in NFL Week 9. Uh, let's get to the primetime games now where we have the Sunday night football game, the game of the week in the National Football League. The New Orleans Saints traveling to Tampa Bay to take on the Buccaneers. New Orleans catching five and a half on the highway. We're seeing a total of 52 in this game, 51 and a half, also widely available. Um, and... Obviously, a lot's going to be made about Antonio Brown's debut with the Buccaneers, right? Lines up perfectly for the network, NBC. They get it, Sunday Night Football. We don't really know how much he's going to play. And, you know, Chris Godwin looks like he's going to be able to get back in the lineup for Tampa Bay. Um, And so right off the bat, I think this total, that's where I was looking. Because... You know, with a defense as good as Tampa's, totals in the 50s, eh, I can't quite get there, even in 2020, right? Before, or I should say after week one, when, and this is another reason why I think this total is a little inflated, New Orleans scored 34 points on Tampa in week one, right? 
best game of the season so far for New Orleans. 34-27, they ended up winning, and it wasn't even that close. The rest of the games for Tampa since then gave up 17 against Carolina, 10 the following week against Denver. Justin Herbert had his way. He got 31 on him in week four. 20 points in a loss against Chicago in week five. Only gave up 10 points to the Packers in week six. They ate Aaron Rodgers for lunch. Gave up 20 against the Raiders in week seven and gave up 23 against the Giants in week eight. Worth noting that the final six points of those 23 came on the last drive of the game for the Giants. They allowed Daniel Jones to convert a fourth and 16. Otherwise, that game would have stayed under the total. Uh, Instead, it goes over. Not that I'm bitter about it. I had the under in Monday Night Football. Um, But having said that, we know it's a great defense that they have with Todd Bowles and that front seven, Shaq Barrett and Dominican Sue. They're going to get after you. Questions are for Tampa in the secondary, and Michael Thomas might be coming back for the Saints. Having said that, I'm going with what I've seen from Drew Brees, and that's a lot of short throws, extensions of the running game. Alan Camaro, oh, by the way, was held out of practice on Wednesday. So if he happens to not play, then... You know, you could be looking at a more power run game with Latavius Murray, which obviously would drive this total down. So, you know, I think you're getting where I'm going here. Always kind of like to look at primetime unders. Maybe you want to wait, right? I, I'm not sure when I'm going to bet this. This number could creep back up. Right now, we're seeing kind of 51 and halves. Chris Godwin gets ruled in. Alvin Kamara gets ruled in. Maybe you start seeing back 53, 54 pop up. Perhaps. At least maybe you grab a 52, 52 and a half. And I think you trust the fact that this is a New Orleans offense that even if Michael Thomas does come back, you're not getting big plays. Short throws. Heavy, heavy reliance, or more so the last few years under Breeze with more running. And Marshawn Lattimore, I'm expecting to have a good lockdown on Mike Evans. Godwin's kind of been in and out of the lineup. What does he give them? And, and Antonio Brown, I mean, it's his first game in over a year. So that could also lead to some total inflation here. Not a whole lot for me on the side because I think there you know, there's two ways of looking at the Saints, right? Either they just aren't that good and, you know, they're kind of eking out these wins, did not cover the number last week in the Windy City against Chicago, or their best football is ahead of them. Certainly would be a great time for the Saints to make a statement and prove that their best football is on the horizon against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. However... You look at the Bucks. I think this could also be a game like a few weeks ago against Tampa or against Green Bay where they just destroyed Aaron Rodgers, the defense crushed them, and Brady just handed the ball off and they won 38-10. Gets us under the total of 51.5-52 as well. So that's the way I'm going to look here is to take the under in this big Sunday night game 
again, you think about the average person that's going to sit down and watch this game and probably going to bet on the game. They're probably going to look to play the over. Oh, Alvin Kamara looks like he's still going to play. And Michael Thomas is back. Antonio Brown, yada, yada, yada. And continue to ignore the fact that Tampa's defense has been excellent. And Marshawn Lattimore is one of the better corners in the National Football League. Which should help neutralize, as I said, the Mike Evans part of the passing game on the outside for Tampa. Under 52, 51 and a half as of now. We'll see where that number goes, where I can get in at for Sunday Night Football. Let's wrap things up with Monday Night Football. The New York Jets are hosting the New England Patriots in a Monday night game that we knew was going to be pretty ugly. And now it looks like because it's because of both teams and not just the New York Jets. New England, 7.5 point road chalk. Total of 42.5 in this one. And I'll be honest, I like the side here. And I'm taking the home dog, the New York Jets. That's right, I'm back in the Jets to get their second cover of the season Give me the Jets, plus 7.5, plus 7. Grab that key number. And here's the thing. New England, obviously, off that crushing loss last week against Buffalo. Now the Patriots are 2-5. and five, And it's going to take a serious run for them to get in the playoffs. Now, you could look at that and say, oh, Cam Newton looked like Cam Newton again, right? He was running the ball well, scored a rushing touchdown. Damian Harris ignited their offense a little bit on the ground. Jacoby Myers, maybe they have something there in a young receiver. They just traded for Isaiah Ford this week from Miami. Normally, you wouldn't see that in an in-division trade, especially with the buyer being the team with the worst record in New England. Having said all that, I really wonder where the locker room's at for New England right now. The guys that have been there, right, aren't used to losing, especially like this, where they're 2-5 and five and potentially out of it already. You know, could they win this game and string together a few wins? I'm sure it's, it's always possible. You never count Bill Belichick out, but it just looks like, you know, there's a lot of pieces they lost, and I'll be the first one to take my L on the Pats. I thought they were going to be really good and, you know, at least win nine, you know, nine, ten games, win the division, or at least make the playoffs. Maybe take a step back, but not a massive step back, and it looks like it's a massive step back because Cam Newton has been inconsistent. The defense had a ton of COVID opt-outs, and they don't have any receivers. Edelman's on IR, Nikhil Harry's in the concussion protocol. So... I'm not really sure that New Eng- those New England players are really jacked up to go play the New York Jets. Okay, so that's the first thing. Mention those divisional home underdogs. 10-1 and one against the spread. Jacksonville and the Jets fit that uh, system this week. As I said, I like the Jets, but here's the other thing. Intangible factor here that I would not rule out in the slightest. Now, you could argue the Isaiah Ford thing this week, making that move makes New England more likely, and then they're going to try and make a run here still. Bill Belichick, as as anyone knows that has followed the NFL, has a checkered history with the New York Jets, to say the least. Okay? And it sounds like he's still not over it. And how things were handled with when he was on the Jets staff and them trying to prevent him from getting into an interview with the New England Patriots. Ultimately, he found his way to New England and we know what happened. 
So now here are the Jets at 0-7. And, and, or check that, 0-8. And, and the only thing anybody could talk about if you're a Jet fan is the number one pick and getting Trevor Lawrence, right? And I would not put it past Bill Belichick to want to ruin their hopes of getting Trevor Lawrence. I think there's a chance he doesn't care about this game at all and would kind of think it's funny if he lost. Because I think he would love to be that guy that just screws the Jets. He's already beaten the bricks off the Jets enough, right? Imagine if they win this game. Then they're just one win behind the pass all of a sudden. Just imagine. I'm not saying they're going to throw the game. But if they do lose, nobody's going to say it's because the Jets played great, right? They're going to All the talk after this game is going to be about New England if they lose. And I do think that it's possible that they are, they are, they've already moved on to next season, even despite the fact that they traded for Isaiah Ford. Isaiah Ford is a young receiver. Maybe they look at him as part of the future beyond this year there. Okay? I think Bill Belichick would love to try and screw the Jets' chances at getting Trevor Lawrence. I really think that's the way this guy thinks. He hates the Jets. He always has. He's beaten them a bunch before, by significant margin before, now he can, you know, Trevor Lawrence could really turn things around, right? That could be a big selling point for a new head coach that's coming in there, you know, whenever Adam Gase gets fired. So that's an intangible that I certainly don't think is factored into this number. And even if New England is to win the game, I think it looks a lot like the Jets' first and only cover of the year, which was a divisional home game against the Buffalo Bills, where Buffalo went through the motions, won the game 18-10, and moved on. That's the, it's not going to be a good Monday night game. We're going to be complaining about this. Why is this game on Monday night football? Because the Patriots, if they do win, are going to win like 17-13 or 20-17. And we're all going to be just happy it's over. So we're taking the Jets for our final play of NFL Week 9. New York Jets, plus 7.5, plus 7. Uh, try and get them. At that key number. Can't imagine there's going to be a ton of support for the Jets anyway. But certainly, you always want to grab them when they're sitting right on a key number. That is going to wrap things up for uh, for myself here on Full Slate. Looking forward to getting Alex back in the fold next week. My name is Greg Frank. Find me and all of my gambling picks on Twitter at UndercoverGreg. Let's get the week started off right. Give me a 49ers upset win on Thursday Night Football to get things rolling Again, find me at Undercover Greg on Gambling Twitter and find Alex managing our podcast Twitter at full underscore slate underscore pod. And of course, please play responsibly. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com slash safety, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.